Welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, we have Nathan Resnick, CEO of Sourceify, a platform that manages and organizes the entire production process to make manufacturing easy. At Sourceify, Nathan partners with over a thousand factories worldwide to help streamline their production. He has also successfully ran three e-commerce companies and has been a part of projects on Kickstarter, raising over seven figures. In this episode, Chad and Nathan discuss his strategies for focusing on work and accomplishing his goals, how he founded Sourceify through his work building e-commerce companies, and how he is continuing to build Sourceify into the future. Nathan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Same. So uh, I'm talking to you from beautiful, sunny Palo Alto, California. The clouds are parting. It stopped raining. The sun's out. It's really nice here. What's going on in San Diego? Everything's good here. You know, San Diego is a beautiful place to be. Um, I'm on the road about, you know, two weeks every month. So really enjoy coming back here. I mean, it's great to have a home base here. Traveling two weeks out of the month is pretty uh, tough. I've been doing about two to three days. I'm getting ready to ramp that up to traveling half time. So what tips do you have for me? Because uh, traveling half the time is uh, it's pretty you hard. Know, I, go, I go international almost once a month. I mean, typically every other month right now. I mean, last year I was in China nine times. I was you know through Vietnam and the Philippines as well. I think you just have to prepare your mind that you're in the time zone that you're going to already, even before you take off. And then you know really just loop into the time zone that I'm flying into already. When you're thinking about getting active and building the business and expanding and going into other markets or traveling internationally, that mindset, I think, is pretty unique. Do you think that you're born with that or do you think that it's something that you developed? And and if so, where do you get started? Where did that mindset come from? Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great question. I mean, I think for me growing up, I was always entrepreneurial. I mean, one of my first businesses, it was when every kid was hyped on these Livestrong bracelets. And so I'd Mm. buy a bunch of, you know, Livestrong type of bracelets, different colors, different sayings on the bracelets and resell them to my middle school classmates at a margin. I mean, I don't know how much I was making, but you know, it was definitely an entrepreneurial venture and then continued to have much better than selling them sugar, by the way. Let's, let's just point out the other type of fundraisers that are competing for market share and attention at the time. And it's, uh, you chose wisely, basically you can look back and be proud about what you sold, which not everybody can do. And just for me was always, you know, having that entrepreneurial mindset. I don't know if I learned it from anyone necessarily, but a book or kind of just turning point or information and resource that I had was honestly the four hour work week. I read that book in, I think my senior year of high school, it was, you know, just an eye opener. Honestly, I was like, wow, you know, we can optimize, automate, you know, it doesn't seem that hard to start a business. And at the time I was working a summer internship as a, as a sales intern, making like a hundred cold calls a day. It was brutal. And like, I went into this internship thinking that I would actually be like attending sporting events because I was actually cold calling retailers around the country to try to sell our sporting equipment. I didn't necessarily enjoy the culture at that company. I realized, you know what, if this founder and CEO can start this company, why can't I? And then read the four hour work week. And I was like, wow, you know, this is really not that hard. Even before that, you know, I'd lived in China for a year in high school and had started importing products and reselling them on eBay and Amazon and Shopify and, you know, had some success in the e-commerce world, but, you know, never made like an official business. And then I realized, wow, you know, it's not that, it's not that hard necessary to incorporate a company. It's not that hard to handle taxes with tools like, you know, QuickBooks or TurboTax, stuff like that. So when you kind of just dive in and realize that, you know, not everything has to be so complex, it yeah. makes it a lot easier. And then for me, I always map things out. Like I'm very process driven in some sense. Do you feel better as you build a process basically or refine it? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, 
I spent a lot of my time kind of firefighting, if you will, in terms of, you know, solving yeah. problems and just things come up during the day. But in the earlier days, I mean, I used to list out, you know, 10 or 20 tasks that I wanted to accomplish that day. And that's what I'd focus my time on. You know, it, it could have been anything. So I think being process driven is extremely important. And also like blocking your time, you know, understanding what you're going to be doing when every single day of the week, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go mountain biking on Saturday morning, or I'm going to go, you know, surfing on Saturday morning. What tips do you have for someone that's just getting started making lists and starting to think about prioritization? Because there's always a competing number of things to do and prioritization is really, really hard. Uh, is there any uh, tip or strategy you use for focus or um, how are you thinking about better prioritizing your tasks and your time? Number one, I'll touch on focus because there are so many distractions in today's world. Like it is, it is ridiculous. I mean, especially with social media, I actually used to be kind of wrapped up in the social media world. I ran like a travel Instagram page back in 2015 and 16, traveled Europe for six months, basically for free. Oh, very cool working out influencer deals as you went or what was the economics of that? When I would reach out to a hotel and I had like 5,000 likes on some of my photos, I mean, I would reach out to say, Hey, I'm in town for two or three days wondering if you'd want me to, you know, showcase your hotel or facility or, you know, whatever it may be on my Instagram page. And, and honestly, the majority would say, yes, that'd be awesome. And they put me up for a night or two. And it was amazing. I mean, I did it for six months when I graduated university, but after traveling for six months, I got tired. You know, I wanted to do more with my life. I felt social media was, I don't want to say it's necessarily fake, but you highlight very positive or like cool parts of your life. And so now I think social media, like it can be a great way to market. It definitely is an important part of today's society. But honestly, right now during the week, usually Monday through Friday, I delete Instagram off of my phone. And that's just, you know, a key part of focus, I think. And so, you know, if you're trying to accomplish goals and, and really, you know, move forward with a given process, I think number one is, okay, well, what are your biggest distractions right now? I mean, you know, iPhone's got this uh, feature now where you can see your screen time, seeing how much time you're looking at your phone is insane. I think number one, if you're trying to like set goals. And especially if you're working, you know, even a full-time job right now and you're trying to be more entrepreneurial, number one is limit distractions. I mean, and then realize like, look, you know, you've got 24 hours in a day. I typically operate on six hours of sleep and I'm fine. I mean, I can sleep from midnight to 6am mm-hmm. and operate, you know, completely great the next day. And so I think when you comes to then making a process to hit your goals, it's a matter of mapping it out. You know, what do you have to do from, you know, step one to 10 to actually get to where you want to be? And everything can have a process from starting a company to, you know, lifting heavy weight in the gym to running a marathon. I mean, everything can have a process and it's just a matter of consistency and sticking to that. Yeah, definitely. I I think too, that being forgiving with yourself when you're getting started or when you're like starting to make lists and tackle things and hold yourself accountable is important because I can remember some early days in business. And when I first got started making money and then paying rent and then having enough money left over where I was like, wow, I made all this and this is in the bank and I feel so great about myself. Those type of feelings, I feel like they are impossible to get unless you give yourself some permission to be really bad in the beginning. So if you're to the extent you're willing to talk about it, I would love to go back to the beginning and some of your earliest business ideas or, you know, you mentioned a couple examples, but what was it like in the beginning? Because I can look back at some of my early businesses and I uh, I cringe at all of them. However, I, you know, I never would be here if I didn't uh, embarrass myself and look like a fool uh, for so long in business. So when you first got started, what was the uh, what was the origins of that and what type of early rejections uh, do you still remember to this day? So the whole reason I got into, you know, what I do today, which is running Sourceify is about 10 years ago, I used to live in China as a foreign exchange student 
in high school. So I was living with a host family that didn't speak English, attending a local Chinese high school, and just became so immersed in the culture and environment of China. So I speak fluent Mandarin now, but you know, I remember the early days, like I could barely speak Mandarin. When I went over there, I had a dictionary by the dinner table. You know, I was like, okay, you know, what do I want to talk about over dinner tonight? It was really just uh, an eye-opening experience. And for me, I was so captivated and fascinated by China and then also became very fascinated by how products are produced. And so that year in you know, 2009, 2010, we started importing products from China and reselling them on you know, eBay, Amazon, and, and you know, then launch our own private labels on Shopify. And so I just became so captivated by the kind of import process and how products are manufactured. Because if you look at a, a product, there's actually so many details that go into producing a product. I mean, you look right. at, you know, the, the vest that I'm wearing right now, someone had to figure out the fabric, the cut, the trim, the zipper, uh, the fabric weight. I mean, so many little details that go into a simple vest um, that had to be, you know, laid out and designed by someone. So I just became so excited by that process and then also how, you know, factories operate. And so in China, I started going to a few factories, started, you know, producing my own products and definitely made mistakes. I mean, one of the, I think the first importation of sunglasses that I had, I didn't realize that sunglasses were technically a medical device. And so your factory has to have an FDA certificate to uh, import those products. So my sunglasses, my first you know, run of sunglasses like 10 years ago got stuck at customs because I didn't have that FDA clearance from my factory. And so really learned quickly like, wow, you, know, you can't just bring random products into America. You actually have to have you know, the rules and regulations checked up to make sure that what you're importing um, can cross through customs. So, I mean, for me, you know, starting in China and then you know, when I was 19, I launched an e-commerce brand that, you know, hit, hit over six figures in revenue. And this was when I was in college. Nice. I went to school at the University of San Diego and I was just having a ton of fun. And it was a great brand to run through university. I mean, we used to host events with like the Hard Rock Hotel downtown. <laughs> I used to be 19 years old going into these like pool parties they'd have on Saturday and Sundays. <laughs> and I'd go in with like friends that were, you know, a few years older, over 21. Sure. And it would like, you know, get us a great deal on like a table with, you know, bottles and we'd be drinking and selling sunglasses. And like Saturday and Sunday during the three months of the summer, like, you know, May through August, we would do like, you know, three to $6,000 in a weekend, just like selling yeah. sunglasses to drunk people at this uh, pool party. And it was awesome. I and mean, we had a ton of fun. And so it taught me about sales. It taught me about, you know, getting in front of people and really how to just uh, build relationships. And I think really, if I think about sales, that's what it's about is building relationships with Completely. people. And so that's a key dynamic. And so I was just always more excited by the production side, you know, how do we produce products more effectively? What I realized was number one, that everyone struggles, you know, how to find the right factory. And number two, managing production right now is all done over email and Excel spreadsheets. It's like the hmm. most outdated industry in the world. And so if you ask someone how their unit costs, lead times or quality, you know, defect rates are fluctuating, they would really have, you know, no clue necessarily. Um, they don't have that data readily available to them. And so two years ago, um, started Sourceify, which, you know, has become the fastest growing B2B manufacturing platform. We help hundreds of companies produce products across Asia. Um, we've got five offices, team members in China, Vietnam, India, as well as San Diego and Las Vegas. And so it's really just been a amazing process of starting. But to your point, I mean, if I look at, 
like one key characteristic that got me through the early days, it was just being self-driven and self-aware. I mean, Sourceify started two years ago with myself in my living room, doing everything from every customer support email to every product that we were sourcing. I mean, saying it was a lot of work would be an understatement. I mean, it was a ton, a ton of work. And we just continued to grow. You know, we got to a point where we're making enough money where I could hire one or two people to, to support the business. But, you know, there was definitely times like the first day it's, uh, you know, I had a, a co-founder and he was traveling Europe uh, as we were starting. And so I get a, you know, message from him on WhatsApp saying, hey, I've had, you know, a family emergency. I'm not going to be able to commit to starting Sourceify with you. And I was just like, wow, like crap. And this was like, we, this was the morning. It was, I still remember it was June 9th, 2017. And this was the morning we were supposed to go into this nonprofit incubator here in San Diego called Evo Nexus, which is one of the most well-known, you know, accelerator incubator programs in San Diego. So I get this text from my co-founder who I'd gotten, you know, invited to this program with saying, Hey, you know, he's quitting. And so I'm thinking to myself, wow, like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to tell Evo Nexus? And then literally an hour later, I get a call from my dad saying that my grandma had passed away and it was just like such a blow. I mean, you know, it was, it was really hard, honestly. I mean, I was like laying on the floor just thinking, okay, like what do I want to do with my life? And I really thought like, okay, what is my, what, what would my grandma want me to do? I mean, you know, she passed away peacefully. She was, you know, of old age, but it was really just, just a hard moment for me to think like, okay, do I want to walk into this accelerator program myself, they're going to ask me, you know, where's my co-founder and I've got to fly out later that week to, you know, attend my grandma's funeral. Long story short, I like walk in, you know, to the accelerator program. And I'm like, Hey, it's just me. They were really supportive. They were like, you know, this is a blessing in disguise. You know, it means you're going to be able to really take ownership. And if someone quits just because, you know, some little thing came up. I mean, there's no way he would have made it through yeah. the journey that we've had, you know, the past two years. So, you know, looking back on it, it was definitely a blessing in disguise. And so, you know, when I look back on our journey and, and how we've gotten to where we're at today, it's just been about being aware and persistent. And also, you know, right now at our stage, it's about the team, you know, the team that yeah. we've developed is incredible. And that's honestly, I think one of the biggest or actually the biggest challenge of growth is, is hiring and growing a team that you love working with. Yeah. And that's the biggest challenge or at least the one to two, maybe the third biggest challenge of just about every CEO or every executive that's listening to this is how do I find recruit and retain the best talent? And do you think that the uh, media or the tech industry as a whole has anything insightful to say about this? I haven't heard really anything that's interesting. I hear a lot of stuff about building culture, but I don't see a lot of team building in practice, if that makes sense. I just hear a lot of people talking about culture. Um, what's, what's your take on it? You know, right now we're at a stage where we always try to hire through our network or through friends. I mean, I have people that, I mean, we of course have job postings up and stuff, but it's very rare that we as you know, a growing organization just feel, you know, complete trust in a person that we don't have mutual friends with or know someone similar with. We've made mishires in the past and you can tell, you know, pretty much right away. I mean, at least within a month, if someone's not going to work out or not. And then when you replace that person with someone that does work out, it's like complete night and day. I mean, literally, yeah. you know, actually our CTO, we had a you know former CTO that didn't work out. And, you know, we made a transition and brought in someone else that I've known actually for five years. And, you know, our new CTO just 
absolutely crushes it. I mean, it's amazing to see the difference in your business that, that having the right people can, can cause, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. So I don't know if I have any like exact pointers, but I think honestly, it's probably one of the reasons why investors are more willing to invest in founders that have a few more years of experience or yeah. at least like one successful exit is because their networks for hiring are probably stronger. That's just so crucial to growth. And it takes such a long time to, to, to hire and have contacts and have a shared history with someone. So when did those conversations first start or when did those people first get on your radar? Um, are there any stories about early employees or team members or co-founders uh, that you like to tell to kind of create corporate mythology? Because um, this is something that like I'm fascinated with. So yeah, are there any like stories from the early days of just examples of uh, excellence maybe? Our first employee in China, I met him through one of our partner factories. He you know, came on board, it was just him in China and, and him and I, I mean, I would stay up to like 2 a.m. working with him though, just cause time difference. You know, now we're you know, gonna be close to 15 people in China pretty soon. And we started, you know, our operation there with a growth mindset. You know, we're growing extremely fast and really trying to, uh, enable everyone to, you know, have a more transparent and visible supply chain. And so with this one team member in particular, I mean, just seeing him take ownership and grow as a leader is awesome. And he's been able to become our, you know, team leader, you know, China director, if you will. And, you know, he's not an old guy necessarily. I mean, he's, you know, late twenties or so, but at the same time, just to see the ownership and responsibility that he's taking of our team there is incredible. And, you know, to see him grow from an individual contributor to a manager is awesome. So that's one. And then, you know, number two, I mean, in terms of like our current CTO, I mean, we've known each other for five years in college. We, um, you know, worked on a pretty fun, like mobile app before. And, you know, when we first started chatting, you know, it probably took like three or four months to actually, you know, get him fully committed. He was, you know, at a pretty comfortable, you know, senior development job at a fortune 500 and kind of aligning our visions was awesome. I mean, right now we, you know, love working together and it's really been uh, incredible to grow together. And when it comes to the rest of the team and expanding and everything, what markets are you most excited about entering now? And I guess I already should have asked this, but when people who don't know that are not familiar with the industry or your company or YC ask what Sourceify is and what, what you do, um, how do you respond? Sourceify helps companies produce products around the world. Our goal is to help companies save money in their supply chain. We typically save anywhere from 10 to 40% of unit costs or lead times. And, you know, that's basically our whole goal. We typically work with mid-market companies doing one to $50 million in revenue. We do work with some Fortune 500s, um, as well as some high growth, you know, startup e-commerce brands. So it's been, you know, a pretty incredible journey to go from a one-person sourcing company to really a software-driven sourcing platform. We've got over a thousand partner factories pretty much in every country in Asia. Last year, we ran production in every country in Asia besides Japan and Korea, uh, South America as well. So we've got some suppliers in Colombia uh, that we're starting to work with. And so, you know, for us, that's what we do. And it's been really just a matter of iteration from going to just like a sourcing company to now like a software driven sourcing company. And for me, I'm not technology driven. You know, I don't, I don't know software really at all. I mean, now I know a bit, but um, I don't know how to write any code. And so it's been a huge, huge learning curve that I've loved to really understand, okay, you know, 
when you are asking for a new feature, you know, you're considering development time and how long that's going to take and what the impact that's going to have on your business. So I think one thing that we do across all of our team members is align our North star, you know, what is the one goal that we're all shooting for and having that one goal is so crucial to aligning everyone's time and really just the way that we conduct our business. With Sourceify and the growth and your investors and everything, that's like, that's very exciting. What are you thinking about in terms of like long-term goals and what, what are you open to sharing? Like what's a one-year vision for Sourceify? What's a five-year vision? And then do you, do you have anything beyond that? How, how do you think about the future? It's a great question. I mean, I really think this business can outlive myself. I mean, our North Star that our whole team shoots for is handling a billion dollars in production in the next five years. You know, that's what we're aligned everything towards. And really kind of the cooler part of that is we know we have the data behind how much it costs and how long it takes and uh, where every product in the world should be produced. So I go into a retail store, I go on an e-commerce website. I know how much all these products cost to manufacture and how, how long it took. And so that data is extremely valuable, not only to, you know, create new tools around, but also to potentially vertically integrate. I mean, we really want to have an impact on the world and we've already done so in some sense. I mean, there was a factory we started working with in the Philippines and when they started working with us, they're around 30 employees. Right now they're around 80 employees um, just through the production and opportunities they've gotten through Sourceify. And this factory is like the best in their region. And it's pretty remote region of the Philippines in Zambanga in the far South. And most companies just like wouldn't go there. And so for us, like it's a matter of having global impact and really working with partners that uh, want to grow. I mean, that's really a key is really aligning ourselves with um, facilities that want to grow. Cause we've also, I mean, I've been to a factory that was producing shoes for, you know, fortune 100 companies and they had 10,000 employees, very stable business and very, you know, amazing facility. I mean, 10,000 factory workers, if you can imagine that it's just eye opening to see, you know, they have clean dorms, they have, you know, great cafeteria. I ate there. It was, it was, it was, you know, good food, but it's just like, wow, you know, this, this factory already worked for so many, so many big customers and they've already kind of, they're at a, a very large scale. And so for us, a lot of what we do is really empower kind of mid-market factories to grow even more. What's uh, an example of why a mid-market factory thanks you basically for paying you money? Um, Cause I, I love the customer success stories and those are the stories that, because I think as any entrepreneur, you're always wondering about the price of your product, right? Like, is it is it priced correctly to where people use it, they pay me money, and then afterwards they thank me for it? So what's a customer success story where you knew you were getting like pricing and value creation? Like, wh when did you start to know that you were approaching product market fit uh, and really serving customers? For us, our goal with every customer is to save anywhere from like 10 to 40% of their unit costs. Um, one greater example of that, I mean, just happened this morning. I mean, it didn't happen, but over the past five months, basically we started working with this uh, e-commerce company called Story Aboard. They're like one of the largest sellers of ski racks and skateboard racks online. They previously had most of the production handled in China. And with these new tariffs, these trade tariffs, they needed to transition production. So we moved production to Vietnam. They saved 10% uh, alone on their duty and tariff. And they also saved, you know, about 12 plus percent of their unit costs across a lot of different categories. And so it's, I mean, this company that spends mid seven figures on production, you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in their supply chain, while they're also giving them more visibility and transparency in production. 
And for us, I mean, we basically make a small margin anywhere from three to 5% on those production dollars. And the reason factories love us too is because we connect them directly to buyers and they work uh, online through our system to better manage production so they can, you know, really track and understand what's going on. Is the uh, future of Sourceify B2B or is it B2B and then B2C or is it uh, a three-sided marketplace? Is it a two-sided? How are you thinking about this and how how are you uh, structuring the business to be uh, defensive? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, right now our main focus focus is B2B, you know, is there the scenario in the future where we integrate on the, you know, vertically integrate on the, on the customer side potentially, but right now we're really focused on helping our customers and making the best, you know, production experience possible. When I think of the growth of a company and how they've, you know, transitioned, I always look at Amazon. I mean, going from selling books online to everything they're doing on their marketplace right now and AWS is just incredible. So I think when you get to that level, you can definitely open up lines of business. But I think for us at our stage, having a laser focus is such a key to success. What entrepreneurs are most inspiring to you and why? So you mentioned Bezos, but what about Bezos' Amazon journey outside of the obvious part, like he's the you know, the richest man on earth and Amazon's an incredible company. Are there any specifics or examples from his journey that you're particularly inspired by or other entrepreneurs? The entrepreneur that I've met and actually most look up to is, is definitely Tim Ferriss. I mean, I think in his early days, his content was incredible. You know, the business that he was running in terms of that supplement company was very well optimized and maintained. It was kind of more of a lifestyle business. But, you know, when I when I look at high growth companies, I, I always think of Flexport, one of our partners, you know, the fastest growing freight forwarder in the world. You know, they went from basically two people in 2014 to this year, they'll be at over 1,500 employees. So, you know, six years and uh, 1,000 people later, they're uh, just crushing it. And it's been so amazing to see how they've grown. And, you know, their first employee is our, you know, official advisor. And it's just amazing to share notes and look at that journey and just look at you know, how far they've come. And I, I think that's a great example because that's an industry where Ryan had so much domain experience before he even started the company. Um, because oftentimes we look at this company or any type of big success from the outside and say like, oh, well, the company started here when they went to YC, but actually it started, you know, like 10, 20, 30 years ago sometimes for different entrepreneurs. So do you have any advice for entrepreneurs? Because I feel like it's very confusing if you were to just glance at the media's interpretation of entrepreneurial success because it's a decades long game. It takes forever. It's super, super soul crushing in the beginning. Um, So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs and especially for folks that might be in the first decade of their learnings or or something like that? These large, large companies don't come together overnight. I mean, even you look at like Airbnb, I mean, they first thought they were going to make money, like literally selling air mattresses to these apartments. So it's a journey for sure. I mean, like you're saying, success doesn't come overnight. Like one of my favorite stories here in San Diego is actually the founder of GoFundMe, you know, the uh, crowdfunding platform that processes tens of billions of dollars in uh, nonprofit fundraising every single year. And, you know, the founder is an early investor in Sourceify, just an incredible entrepreneur and founder. And it started with two people. They had a seven year journey and, you know, they sold for not a billion dollars, but, you know, very high, you know, nine figures. It was just an incredible journey for them to go through iterations. They didn't raise much funding. I mean, they raised less than $2 million in total. You know, I think in today's world, just mentioning kind of the hype of tech coverage, a lot of the coverage is around who can, you know, raise the most amount of money. And I mean, there's, you know, tons of cases where, 
a company. The better funded competitor stories don't get brought up nearly enough. Everybody forgets about them. Just like, let's just put those under the rug. Totally. I mean, a classic example in our industry is a company that we're partnered with called ShipBob. They handle like third-party logistics and they had a competitor called Ship. And I don't know exactly how long they were in business, but that was a hyper growth takeoff too. Cause I can remember everybody talking. I was, uh, one of my friends, uh, Kamal was actually, he was trying to get me jo- to join in 2012 when I left the military, I kicked myself looking back and I was like very, very, I had FOMO and I was like, just went through like a month period of like, I was stupid for not taking that. And then I watched, you know, what happened. And I was like, I think there's a quote that says something like the fool sees things and says it's luck or like the blah, blah, blah. But the wise man just looks at everything and says nothing. And I'm starting to realize that like saying nothing is usually the appropriate response and just realizing like, you know, you just never know what's going on at these companies from the outside. So even when a company gets a hundred million dollars from SoftBank or a billion dollars from SoftBank, like nobody might know what's, what's going on except the people with information rights. So I think that any type of judgment or assumptions in this space is usually uh, toxic. So how are you thinking about maybe like updating your mental models or learning more or becoming a better CEO? Is there any thought process there where maybe you're working with a coach, maybe you're talking to your board, or maybe you're just, you know what you need to do and you're doing it. What's that process like for you? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I think for me, like people have asked me, you know, like, how do you learn at your stage? And honestly, I I read books. I talk to other entrepreneurs or founders and say, Hey, what book got you through this problem or this challenge? They recommend it. And I spend, you know, Saturday, Sunday reading it and taking notes. I mean, it's so crucial to to my growth is just reading. And it's funny because I used to not read at all. Like, elementary, middle and high school. Like I didn't read at all. Like I just wasn't a reader. Um, you know, especially like, I don't, I don't read fiction at all. It's all like nonfiction, yeah. which is such a great reminder. Cause a lot of people would go have had a similar experience and they just say, well, I'm not a reader instead of I haven't read yet. Like you can always start, you can always start stuff. Yeah. I think that's been a key. And then also surrounding yourself with other driven people. I mean, most of my friends now uh, that I, you know, hang out with a lot here in San Diego are other founders, uh, other entrepreneurs, not all are running, you know, venture backed startups. Some run, you know, lifestyle businesses in terms of uh, like e-commerce brands or uh, coaching businesses, but at the same time, just, you know, other people that are driven and, and want to, you know, have an impact on this world. I think that's so, so important. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what gets me going in terms of like a board. It's so interesting because, you know, I think a board can be great for some things, but when it comes to the direction, I think, you know, it's great to have a group of people that you can get insight from, but at the end of the day, like, no one should or will know as much about your business as you do. I just don't know anyone that knows more about sourcing and manufacturing than I do. And so, you know, a board and, and you know, a group of people is, is fantastic to kind of brainstorm with and, you know, uh, see what direction we should take. But at the end of the day, like it should, and I think it always should be like the CEO's decision or the person that, you know, really started the business's uh, decision. Yeah. If you don't have a vision and if you're looking to other people or your board for the vision, I think you're going to run into a lot of pain and struggle. What is a vision of Sourceify that you can share with us on days where you don't feel like waking up and jumping out of bed in the morning? Why do you do it? You know, in a sentence, it's bringing transparency and visibility to supply chains around the world. You know, we want everyone to know where their products came from. You know, one of the notes you made earlier was about price visibility. Like, how do you know as a company what you're paying is actually competitive? Because here's the thing, if, if you know, person A and person B went to the same factory, tried to produce the same product uh, at the same quantities, they would get back different pricing and there's very little visibility. So for us, we bring that visibility to the table. And then, you know, what gets me up in the morning 
I mean, besides my alarm, but I mean, sometimes honestly, I wake up before my alarm, which is funny. I mean, it's just kind of been this part in our business right now where I'm excited. So, I mean, what gets me up honestly is just wanting to have an impact and really just believe in and becoming excited by what we're doing. I mean, there's definitely been times where it's been really challenging for our business. And a lot of that stemmed from having, you know, some of the wrong people on our team in the past or just having, you know, uh, the, the wrong business model in the past. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of continuing to have consistency, like we were talking about, just being persistent and having consistency around what you want to accomplish. So there's a lot of uh, really technical folks who have worked in technology, a lot, a lot of them way longer than I have. They're executives, they're uh, talented people who live in the Bay Area and they're they're passionate about stuff. They care about, like they listen to us, they care about mission-driven companies, they, they want to find mission-driven work. What positions do you have right now that you're most excited about, whether it's like open positions or maybe you're looking for a chief of staff that has like a really niche specific background or something like that? Who are you looking for and who do you like talking to? Because I think as a founder and CEO, like we're not always recruiting, we're always just looking for what work looks like for other people. And like, we want to like, we want to help other people or connect them with people in our network. So who are you looking to connect with? And when you get a cold email from someone that is technical, what signals or characteristics do you look for? When do you get excited about getting a cold email from someone that says, I want to join the team, or I know somebody that would be a good fit? Like, what are you, what are you looking for when that cold email comes in? If you reach out cold, that's fine. And if it's a great email, I'll respond. But I feel like what's even better. And especially like if you're trying to join our sales team, find a way to get a warm introduction to me. I mean, to make it easy for you to say, let me listen and let me be fully present. If they can get a warm introduction from a friend of a friend, I'm like, okay, this person knows how to work an account. Like that's so key. And that's for any position, honestly. It's like, look, like at the end of the day, if you're on our supply chain team, you're building relationships and working with factories. If you're on our you know, operations or account management or sales team, like you're still building relationships. So I think that's like such a key. I would say just find a way to get uh, introduction and, and dive in. You know, I think that's just so important. Yeah. Do the test assignments before you get the test assignments type thing. We're hiring across our sales team, um, account management team, and all of our offices in Asia. Um, but we hire, you know, locally overseas, but um, we're, you know, in San Diego, we're in Las Vegas. We'll open up LA probably pretty soon um, and potentially New York city as well. So, you know, definitely reach out. What is the top or like, what are the top two or top three prospects that you have where you would like love to work with that company? Like where you want to partner with them because you have so many ideas to basically save them money and it would be like such a good fit. I can drop one right now that I would be super confident in us if we worked with them is Away Suitcases. Like if you look at Away's journey, you know, they're just raised like a hundred million dollars at a $1.4 billion valuation. Mm -hmm. It's uh, incredible luggage startup and, and company. Um, and their products are fantastic. Absolutely love them. I've heard, you know, Jen, the founder speak. She's a great speaker, really a, a visionary in the e-commerce world. And when I look at that brand and hear their story, I mean, I listened to them on, on a podcast and, you know, they started, they launched with like travel books because they had problems with lead times when they were first starting production because, you know, the founders and the team doesn't come from a, a sourcing or product background necessarily. I mean, their marketing is incredible and just, you know, completely in awe and love what they're doing from a marketing standpoint. But if I look at their team and, you know, 
what they're hiring for right now. They're basically hiring like sourcing team members and product team members. I mean, we could make their lives so, so much easier to optimize their supply chain. I mean, I know they run on Excel spreadsheets and emails. So if you're listening and you're from away suitcases, shoot me an email. I love it. Somebody listening, make that intro because that's a helpful thing. We can make your life a hundred times easier. And here's the thing too, that I'll make a note on real quick. Harry's or Allbirds, you know, they have had so much success because they vertically integrated with their supply chain. Harry's, the first thing they did was buy a razor factory. Allbirds, they're vertically integrated with two Korean shoe factories. I mean, that is the way that you own a category is you vertically integrate and own your supply chain. And that's what we enable companies to do at Sourceify. Yeah. And oftentimes it's easier to buy revenue than it is to build that revenue yourself. And I think that's what's so smart about Harry's is like they're, they raised a large investment round to buy the factory. And that's like, you can still do that. And I think a lot of investors prefer a entrepreneur or CEO who's thinking much bigger like that, who's ready to start making acquisitions than one who doesn't. So Nathan, this has been so awesome, man. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being generous with your time. Uh, Is there any final thought or uh, maybe call to action that you would leave everyone with who's listening today? Yeah, I mean, for me, my favorite quote, and a lot of people know this from the office, you know, it's Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I have that hanging on my wall. I have it in our office. Like, I just absolutely love that quote. It's, you know, guided me in so many ways in my life and hope that it has an impact on everyone else's as well. I love it. Nathan, you and Sourceify are crushing it and I can't wait to see, I don't mean that in the lame Silicon Valley way that you've heard it so many times, but you're doing really well as a business and uh, yeah, hats off to you and thank you so much for joining us. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.